Welcome, everybody, to the eighth episode of the Rocket Science Podcast. Last night, the Houston Rockets played the Boston Celtics in TD Garden. Uh, it was a loss 102 to 118. Here with me today to talk about the loss is none other than Bobby Manning at Real Bob Manning. Bobby, how you doing? Hey, Nima. I, it makes me so sad talking about the Rockets, watching the Rockets. So I'm glad you're still in the mood to do it because... I think I said this a few weeks ago. I have a friend who's a Cowboys fan, and when stuff goes wrong in that end, I don't even want to talk about him because I know how it's gonna re- he's going to react. I'm glad that even though this season has been the worst thing ever probably in Rockets history, you still have the energy, the motivation to keep up with it and keep taking things away because, man, it is a disaster. It is so bad for that team right now. That was just another awful performance by Houston. I just th- – again, they don't have much left. But it's tough, tough to watch, probably. Yeah, it definitely does get difficult. Um, you were actually at the game last night. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that experience? How was that? How was seeing the Rockets firsthand? What do you think of them? So I was excited to see it, obviously, because they made the Victor Oladipo trade and got Kelly Olynyk, uh, who has hurt the Celtics quite a bit since he left the team in 2017 between the heat and now the rockets avery bradley has obviously bounced around a little bit since leaving boston so those two teaming up and coming in together was uh, what i was most excited for olenic obviously ended up coming off the bench i thought i was listening to steve and silas pregame and he was talking a little bit about going double big they really didn't in the end so that was like what i was looking for most coming in if they could use olenic to hurt boston a little bit and he really didn't end up having that good of a game got burnt defensively a little bit but as far as the game goes it was my first time in the garden with fans and it was only 2000 but they were making noise they were calling for taco late in the third quarter uh the when the noise meter came on they got pretty loud and you know they were giving it to the team through their lowest points i know the rockets were hanging in for about two and a half quarters and when the celtics were lapsing defensively which they did a few times you know they were giving it to them a little bit few boos here or there but then when evan fournier exploded in the fourth quarter uh, like he hasn't in his career really that was probably the best shooting performance of his career uh, the place went nuts taco finally came in with about six minutes to go we got the full garbage time carson edwards all that stuff and it's a good night it's always a good night there when uh not only the fans are there, but it's a big win for the Celtics. Um, they needed it. It's been a rough month and a half for them right now. And the only blowouts that they've been able to garner have been against the Rockets now in two games. I think that's really the only like comfortable victories they've had since March 1st. Yeah, I actually kind of forgot that both Avery I, – I, like, I knew both Avery Bradley and Kelly Olenek were both Celtics, but I, I didn't really realize that like they were you know coming back to the Garden together as teammates. Um that's kind of cool. And both of them had really good games, uh, you know, both k- coming off the bench. Avery Bradley, 15 points. Kelly Olenek, 10 points. Bradley was good. Yeah, he cut w- really well in the game and got to the basket and all that. Yeah, he did have a decent game. Yeah, had a few, like, good, uh, like, cleanup plays, too. There was a I, – I, I forgot who, like, didn't finish the layup. I think it was, like, DJ Augustine. Avery Bradley came back and cleaned it up. Now, uh, you've watched him for a few games now. Does he still have the defensive? Obviously, he's not what he was in Boston, but. He, yeah, he, I mean, I think he can like, you can put him up against a decent player and he can guard them. I, I would prefer, you know, Sterling Brown, David Nawaba, some of the other guys already on the roster over Avery Bradley in terms of defense. The, my thing with him is the next year he has, he has a team option. I don't know whether or not the Rockets should pick it up. Part of me says, you know, maybe pick it up and what's like 5 million bucks, 5 million. Yeah. And so like, maybe pick it up and you just have, you know, a contract on the books that's expiring and definitely a trend. Yeah. Guy to train some of the young guards. Yeah. I mean, if, if he plays a decent amount of minutes, like he, you could definitely, you know, get something out of him for the most part. Or do you just like, you know, let him walk, drop the team option and just say, screw it. And either way, like, I don't really mind. I, I don't mind Avery Bradley. I've kind of liked him throughout his career, but I've never really like been partial for or against him that much. It is cool seeing him in a Rockets uniform, but I'm not that crazy about him. Kelly, on the other hand, uh, has been great. In terms of like double big, I do wish that whenever it is being run, whenever they do have Kelly Olenek and Christian Wood on the, on the court together, I would like for them to go to one of those two guys more often, not just have two big guys on the court at the same time for the sake of having them on the court at the same time. Uh, like actually use them in the offense. I think there was like four minutes in the first quarter uh, where Kelly Olynyk and Christian Wood played together and Kelly like didn't shoot a single shot. 
Uh, I would like to see him get involved a little bit, like as soon as he gets in the game, because he's a shooter. Uh, whenever a shooter comes in, the first or second play you have for them it should be a shot. Yeah, th- there's two things you can do with him. You can do that high handoff action and try to get him going downhill. Because we we said this on our post game show last night. He back to his Boston days has a sneaky first step. Like he's not fast, yeah. but he can you know get that first leg downhill, take a few steps, and he's at the basket because he's you know seven feet. And then if you run him from the corner, he did have a nice corner three in this game, and he can do the short roll action from there too. Make a nice pass, dump off to Wood if he gets the ball there. He can take it off the dribble, obviously. So this guy is a nice offensive player, underrated defender too. He doesn't have a ton of length, but he's fairly positionally sound. And he was a, you know, important part of that Heat team that went to the finals last year. So this guy has become fairly underrated. Uh, he was obviously a big part of those Boston teams. I think a lot of Celtics fans forget that because he was frustrating. You know, you, you had higher hopes for him becoming like maybe like a 19 point per game guy. He's probably like a 13 point per game guy, you know, in rotation, but he's, he can be efficient. He can pass, he can put it on the floor, he can do a lot of different things. Now people are going to lose their mind because if you go back up the tree of trades that the Rockets have made this year, it's really Dante Exum and Kelly Olenek for James Harden <laughs> and Victor Oladipo too. So, you know, not a ton of return for two stars that should have netted a lot more for Houston. But, you know, with the position there and now, they can't really look at sunk costs and they ended up getting a good player out of it. So hopefully they can keep them probably what, 13 million, 10 million, something in that range a year. Yeah, I would hope that we can get him maybe like two year, 20 million. Uh, that that would be nice. Like maybe the full MLE. If, if we could sign him for the full MLE, I'd be happy. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes for somewhere around 12, 13 million, though. Yeah, uh, I wouldn't mind signing him at that as long as it's relatively short term. I don't want to be locked into that contract for you know three four years. Now uh, are you you're hard you're hard cap for two years then if you do two years full MLE kind of like or is it just the first year? I think it's just the first year. All right, yeah. So that wouldn't be bad. Yeah, and but like even if you don't do that, we have cap space, so we could honestly yeah. just sign him in the cap space. My thing is, I just don't want to be locked into another like Ryan Anderson type deal of like four years 80 million for a guy who after year two doesn't have it anymore yeah but you know Linick and you know might even think about doing like a one-year deal for more money it's interesting last offseason yeah. guys didn't do that you saw in the past like a guy might be willing to do like one year 20 million you know you Marcus I- Morris do that a ton of times yeah like three different times of so just getting big money to try and get a long-term contract but I thought Serge Ibaka would do that last year with Toronto, but he didn't. You know, guys want a couple of years with the COVID stuff or whatever it was. They want a couple of years of security locked in at whatever percentage of the cap it was going to be for years to come. Uh, so I don't know if that's dead, but he would probably be a guy you look at in that sense if you want to preserve cap space for whatever might come. You know, do a bigger deal, preserve that, and carry it forward. I don't know who's who's going to be that big target this off season with cap space. You don't you don't want to be the Hawks. You know, you don't want to cash in on four years of Bogdanovich and you know who else did they sign? Two years of Rondo at seven, and just like splurge all your cap space on whoever's out there just because you have it. Yeah, I mean the big the big targets this year are Kawhi Leonard, um, Laurie Markkinen, John Collins, and like Jared. Allen. Collins would be good. Gary yeah. Trent as well. Gary Trent was plus fifty four last night uh, for Toronto, and so like those are like five guys who I can see getting paid like over twenty million a year on long term contracts. Some of them max money. I think Collins will probably get max money. Yeah, would you would you pay him max? I don't know. I like if well if I'm Atlanta, no. Um, but if, if you're I'm Houston, not, if I'm Houston, uh, probably not. I would pr- rather pay a wing the max, but there's not really a wing I want to pay the max next year. Um, I just feel like Collins and I would like like if we get Collins for like four years, a hundred, I'd be fine with that. Um, but if it's anything more than that, I think it's a Lannis. Lannis probably matching that one now. Yeah, and so that's the problem. But the thing is, is like. You, you bring up the, the one-year deals. I, I like the fact that, like, contracts are kind of like a, it's an up-and-down wave of, like, how contracts go. Like, we saw long-term, and now I think we're going to see short-term again. And we might even see it again this year where a lot of these, like, younger guys or maybe, like, role players are going to get overpaid. Uh, we might see, like, a Miami, you know, Tyler Johnson, Deion Waiters type situation where you're locking two role players into $40 million a year um 
there, there's going to be some teams that kind of get like forced into doing that. And so it's going to be interesting to see what teams do that and, you know, overpay a bunch of guys just to have a decent roster um, and what, what teams kind of fall back on free agency this year. The only fun thing about the Rockets now, and there isn't a lot, it's going to be a tough few years here. They're probably going to lose wall for nothing now. Uh, you know, and they've just lost so much for so little and that, that hurts you. You know, you might end up overspending on guys who are less worth it later. Uh, you know, you, they've piled up draft picks, which is fun. I guess they, like that sets them in a good direction there. But I guess the thing you can do too is, you know, bank on some of these like redraft guys. Detroit did it with Josh Jackson. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously Houston's trying to do it with Dante Exum. Just guys who were big prospects in the past that didn't work out in their original situations. And now you hope with more opportunity that they can develop and at least make themselves valuable, you know, for different deals you might want to do down the line or maybe even stay in Houston and be part of the core going forward. The good thing about Silas is it does seem like he is trying to develop some of these guys and, you know, Porter is a project. Obviously, he's another redraft guy that you could look at in that sense. And like it, he was talking pregame, you know, that he had a phone call with Brad Stevens about that first year. And obviously, Stevens had a disaster of a first year, too, even though he came in with a bunch of enthusiasm and was trying a bunch of different stuff and winning early. I think they started like three and three that year, three and two. You know, they had a nice little start, beat the heat, but then it was just a disaster from there. And uh, Stevens apparently called Steven Silas and was just like, you just got to get through that first year. You know, then you'll add some real pieces, probably have more of a, you know, form team. Like this year, I don't know if they try to tank this year, but eventually got to the point where Houston was just tanking. And now at this point, we're like. Using, we're using the terminology of it's it, it's an it's an organic tank. Like, yeah. you need to do it, but like just the way things. Now it's, you might as well. Yeah. Like that's the argument. And I don't want to keep hammering on the hardened trade i feel like i bring it up every podcast but i feel like that's just going to be a trend throughout the season is the 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 whole season is kind of surrounded around that and really the next couple years are just surrounded around that trade like it's 100 dependent on what happened with that deal in terms of why we got oladipo over lavert was silas wanted oladipo uh silas saw something in oladipo which you know it's understandable because he was an all-star he was an all-defensive player uh, if you can get that kind of guy and you hope that he can become that guy again, there's no reason not to bank on it, especially when you want to be competitive. The goal was to remain competitive, to be a six to eight seed, um, you know, kind of ease guys like Christian Wood into being a playoff guy. And it started off that way. I mean, we won six games straight as soon as like Oladipo came in and, you know, we were off the ground running. Wood got hurt in uh, that game against Phoenix. And ever since then, it was just downhill. Uh, we started losing games. We went on the 21-game losing streak. Um, and now, even though he's back, you know, we're dropping every, you know, two out of every three games. And I said that as well. Like, when Wood comes back, it's not like we're going to start winning games all of a sudden. Like, over those 21 games, we lost complete touch. Like, the team wasn't the team it was. That's not the same team that won six games straight, whether you take – Christian Wood out of there or not like mentally they're not the same team and so we're not going to go back to winning you know 65 67 percent of our games we're going to be winning 30 percent of our games and especially you know, in the west be happy with it yeah especially in the west where everyone is competitive you, you might you know you go up against the kings and it's a hard game because even Sacramento is a decent team and so like I think it's 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 definitely tough there was the Minnesota back-to-back where uh, after game one, you know, we blew a 20 point lead and that was the tank championship there. Afterwards <laughs> is sitting there like laughing and snacking during his post game. And it, it's like kind of upsetting to see. And then especially the next game, whenever like we, we beat Minnesota and they interview Malik Beasley and he's like pissed. And he's like, there's no reason why we should be losing to a team like Houston who lost 21 straight games. Whenever you see that from a guy who is Malik Beasley, not John Wall, like not an all-star, and also on Minnesota, a worse team than Houston, it's it's upsetting. Somehow, yeah. Yeah. Every yeah. day I check the standings, I'm like, how is Minnesota still worse? <laughs> that team. Yeah. And like, that's the thing. They're a very talented team. I, yeah. I love everyone on Minnesota. They're kind of in that position. Of, they should like, be in the playing race. <laughs> yeah, like that's, 
like you have Cat. I mean, Delo's hurt, and Cat was out for a yeah. season. But like realistically, even when I think there there was a thing that was like Cat and Delo have only played like two games together since the trade, which is mm-hmm. ridiculous to me. Yeah. Um, I love Delo. I loved him on in Brooklyn. Uh, he was like a baby Harden in Brooklyn, and like it all just went downhill after after he left Brooklyn and went to Golden State. Uh, I hope he bounces back, but like I I think that Minnesota needs to just maybe try and salvage something out of him, like trade him and see if you can get anything out of him that can pair you with Cat, or maybe move on from Cat and just you know. I think they him. they got to see what they do in this draft because Anthony Edwards was obviously a solid choice. If, if they miss on that pick, it's gonna be big. Like if well, that pick they might have they might have just missed. I, I know Wiseman probably wasn't the guy to take one, especially for them. That probably would have been a disaster. Uh, but Ball was so many teams overthought Ball. And Charlotte is just sitting there like thrilled at three. And they, you could tell that night that they were just absolutely enamored in him. And, you know, we're frankly shocked that he was still there falling past Golden State. And Minnesota, Golden State are probably going to re- regret that one for years I would, to come. I would argue, like, I would have rather taken Tyrese Halliburton at one. Oh, yeah. Especially for a team like Minnesota where you need an NBA-ready guy. Like you Look at the Kings team. doing good things. Yeah, look at that. Like, the the – they got rid of Lottie and all of a sudden they're confident again. Um, but no, kind of just going back onto the Rockets and talking a little bit about the roster. I want to hear your thoughts a little bit on Kevin Porter Jr. Everybody in the Rockets side of things are going crazy over him. Also, Kenyon Martin. Kenyon Martin had some great moments. I know Jalen Brown dunked on Jaylen him. Jalen killed him. But then the next, the next, you know, right on the other side of the court, uh, KJ dunked it and got in Jalen's face a little bit. He also dunked on uh, Grant Williams and got in Grant Williams' face a little bit. I like to see the fire out of him. But that was uh, a nice, uh, that was a nice dunking sequence between the two of them. Kelly had a big one too. Yeah. <laughs> The phrase in Boston was the bounce is real because a few times in his Celtics tenure, he threw down in ways that you wouldn't expect off the dribble. <laughs> Kelly Kelly is something else. But what, what are your thoughts on the Rockets' youth? Like right now with, with the Harden trade, yes, we didn't get anything out of it. We got, you know, Dante Exum. We got a bunch of expiring. Dante Exum, uh, Avery Bradley, Kelly Olenek. Let's, let's say you put Harden and Tucker together as a package. So poor Harden and Tucker, and let's include Kevin Porter Jr. in this just to make things a little nicer. For Porter, for 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 Harden, Tucker, and a second round pick, technically, uh, the Rockets got like five first rounders or four swaps, five first rounders, and uh, a bunch of you know expirings, and Kevin Porter Jr. I think that's decent, um, but it's all it's all luck. And I really wish they would have got another like tangible piece. I said this last time I would have been ecstatic if they would have, you know, done something in the trade deadline with Victor Oladipo to get, you know, any kind of young player. But right now the Rockets have KPJ and KJ Martin. What do you think about the youth in Houston? Do you think it's, that this is a core to build around? Do you think there's still like a lot of pieces? Missing? No, it's not a core. I don't think they have a single core piece right now. And maybe you could throw Wood into that conversation, but ideally he would probably be like the third guy on a really good team. Like you even see last night, he's not the kind of guy who's going to lead the team on his own. You know, he needs guys setting him up. But that combination they had with him and Harden looked really good coming into this year. And that's why I thought this team had the capability to be sneaky good if Harden committed. Now, of course he didn't. And they ultimately, I don't think, got a good enough players back for these guys. Like Ben Simmons, Wood, that would have been a nice core tandem. And whatever else Philly was ultimately willing to part with, I don't know if it would have been Matisse Seibel or other guys. But you do want to come out of these trades with more sure things from a player standpoint. Now, uh, as far as players in place now, I obviously like Kelly as a bench piece. Uh, I like Martin probably as a bench piece. You know, Kenyon Martin looked good as a cutter, as a slasher, and a you know role man even playing off Porter. I thought Porter ran a you know decent offense for much of that game. I don't think he's destined to be like a team's point guard like the role he's playing in now. You know, if he can shoot off the catch a little bit, you know, play some secondary pick and roll action, I think he's going to be a good piece into the future. So like I look at this roster, I know you love Jay Sean Tate. He's probably a really good bench player. I saw DJ Wilson play a little bit, the guy who uh, returned for Tucker from Milwaukee. I didn't see a ton from him, but he didn't play a ton either. Um, you know, House is probably out, right? He's probably gone. Uh, Macklemore. Yeah, pro- 
Well, Macklemore got uh, released this morning. All right. This morning. And so, you know, I, I think he might get picked up by maybe Brooklyn. Um, or like yeah. That. So, like, you're going to see some of these guys from the Harden era leave. Mm-hmm. And then you, you start with, like, your Sterling Browns, your uh, Martins, your Porters, and hopefully guys like Olenek stay and you at least have a decent team here. Like, Wood – like that's the saving grace of the season that he was able to come in, have a good year, uh, be committed long-term. And then when we talk about the trades with this team, they've done a good job piling up the draft picks that they lost. That The thing about the Rockets though, is that every single thing that they're doing from here on out is going to be to some degree making up for the mistakes they made in the past. Like it's hard to look at the Harden trade and say anything other than, oh crap, we screwed up with Russell Westbrook. We need to restore all our long-term draft capital. Going all the way back to Chris Paul. (laughs) Yeah. And so like they fixated on picks over players, which, you know, could work out. Like if you have this many picks, the Portland pick, uh, you know, stuff from Detroit, a pick from Washington, all that stuff. Like it's nice that they've added it. A Bucks first as well. Like it's it's been a good, good year of acquiring assets. Yeah. So you just hope that this team drafts well. Like I, so, their new GM has he made a pick yet, or is this just his first year? Uh, no, this is gonna be his first year, and he will have potentially three first rounders. Hopefully, three first rounders. That's the thing too. I mean, this year has been so bad i don't know if you've mentioned this to your listeners but that possibility i think what 52 percent chance to get a yeah, top four pick there's a 52 percent chance of not getting a top four pick and i'm honestly banking on the fact that we don't get a top four pick oh like, geez I'm, that would just be the final like, like realistically just you know even it's a coin toss 50 it is a coin toss but it's a little weighted it's a little weighted and you have to you have to give respect to that weight of it's it's it it's more likely to fail than succeed and so you have to think like I feel like there's a lot of people that are not focusing on the fact that there's a good chance that this doesn't work. Yeah, like, there's, there's equally and a lot of people are very fixated on like, oh, we're gonna get the number one pick. Like we're gonna get Cade Cunningham. There is like a ten percent. You might get nothing. <laughs> there's, there's a ten percent chance we get Cade Cunningham. There's like a 36 percent chance we get another young player that's not Cade Cunningham who is a lot more of a, a lot less of a sh- sure thing if you're getting someone who's not Cade and then a 52% chance of nothing happening and so like you got to think about like what is what's the plan if nothing happens if we do get you know a top five guy does that kind of skyrocket like does that kind of give a jolt to the rebuilding process all of a sudden instead of a three four year rebuilding process it's one or two years or if you miss out, does that extend the rebuilding process? Because now it's harder to get free agents because you don't have a top four guy or like maybe everybody walks, you know, maybe it's hard to bring people in or you just don't get good draft picks. You don't land on good guys because you're drafting late first round. There's a lot of, you know, ifs that can happen. And you got to think about all of them, especially the front office. If, if, if you're working with this, the front office, like I doubt Rafael Stone is sitting in his mind, like we're going to get Kate Cunningham. So everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Like, I, I'm sure he has a plan for this off season and whatever is with the top four picks is just carry on top, but that's how this needs to be treated. It can't be treated like, Oh, we're doing this for a top four pick. It's we need to be doing this for something else. And the results of these top four picks of this pick is just like icing on the cake. That's, that's all this needs to be. And so my thing on Kevin Porter and KJ Martin, they're both 20. Um, there's a lot of room. There's a lot of time. Uh, we're going to talk about Rob Williams, but Rob Williams, whenever he was 20, you know, I don't think you expected him to do the stuff he's doing in the last few games. And so I, I, I'm okay with, you know, ushering Kevin Porter and Kenyon Martin along. I do think Tate long-term is more of a like glue guy, like the fifth player on your starting lineup slash like a sixth or seventh man. Uh, just long term but right now with the roster we have obviously I'm fine with him getting the minutes he gets house has one more year on his contract I wouldn't be surprised if he sticks it out but I also wouldn't be surprised if we trade him as soon as we can Um, I'm sure he's going to be shopped a lot DJ Augustine has two more years I'm fine with keeping him long term we talked about Kelly and Avery Bradley before that but with Kevin Porter you brought up the fact that like right now he is playing that point guard role and yeah 12 and 8 it's fine I don't think he is great at finding his own shot yet in terms of jump shots. He's getting good looks, but they're not good looks that go in. 
And so that's what he needs to figure out is he needs to be able to figure out where is he good at shooting from? Where can he shoot from? Like where, where is proficient spots and how can he create for himself there? He's been shooting really poorly from three. He was over five last night. There's a lot more I want to see from Kevin Porter. And I would like, obviously with John Wall out, you know, you need someone to run the point. I'm fine with Kevin Porter running the point in games like that. In games with John Wall, I'd like him to play more of a, secondary ball handler role and that's probably what is going to happen long term and that's what has been happening but I I don't really I would like to him to not be the point guard long term I would like him to be our shooting guard if that's what we're going to usher him on for unless we get like a really good shooting guard then you know by all means put in two combo guards but like if we could have gotten a Lonzo Ball or something like that. Like one of those guys who's just a, a pure point guard. Um, that's someone who I would like to see next to Kevin Porter. Cause I think about it and his game is very similar to Harden's, but you got to remember he's not as good as Harden and there's a good chance he doesn't end up being as good as Harden. Yeah, Har- Harden's vision's unmatched and it his is. ability to put, you know be the general on the floor and use all the gravity of his own shot. Like that's the first big difference you think of here. Harden's aren't going to have many over games from three. Uh, and so he has that going for him, plus his physicality and downhill driving and ability to finish and score and embrace contract attack, all that stuff. It's it's hard to compare anybody to Harden, really. Uh, but when it comes to Porter, you do have that burst factor with him. Like when he was able to get around screens down to the lane and finish in this game, even though he wasn't getting his shot going. But once the defense started collapsing, especially Marcus Smart, who I think keyed in on him, you know, rotated inside again and again and, you know, cut off the open lanes that he was building around screens. And I think that in that second quarter, it was just turnover city for Houston. And they were just throwing the ball away again and again in that lane, getting blocked, getting stolen. And he wasn't really able to adjust and figure out other ways to do it. Or, you know, I know he doesn't have a lot of shooting or talent around him, but uh, he wasn't able to open up other avenues of offense for them. And that's why it seems like Houston's been one of the worst offensive teams in the league this year. They also went really small for stretches of this game, which I don't think worked out in their favor. Like Rob was able to start dominating them on the boards. I think it was 50, 40 in the end in, in a, you know, substantive way. Uh, so, you know, Porter's what you said, 20, uh, 20. Yeah. Again, like this is fine for a 20 year old right now. Like I'm not, for for him to step in play 29 minutes and have a decent game eight assists as a lead ball handler and you know get his own shot going a little bit I think that's a good starting point for a guy like this again what it cost you nothing like he was a throwaway from a team that just couldn't develop him drafted him hoped he would turn out and gave up on him so that's what you want to see Houston do get those guys who are going to cost nothing Houston's ultimately going to draft their own guys and they can essentially have two drafts every year bring in other people's failed projects and start their own. And that's going to be, you know, that's what's fun to follow about a bad team eventually. Like this year is going to be really tough. And then next year, the development takes that next step. It's just going to be a much longer road in the West than it was for Brad Stevens in the East because the East was so bad when he got started. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's all I got to say about Houston. Um, yeah. You just hope draft night goes well. And really it's a cautionary tale. Uh, teams like them, Minnesota, if you're not in a sure spot to contend, do you give up years and years of first round picks? I know I've advocated for the Celtics to do that. And fortunately for me and Celtics fans who have probably wanted similar action to be taken during this Tatum and Brown era, Ainge has been really stringent with that. And there have probably been situations where that was smart. Like this year, especially, would you have given up two first round picks for Gordon? I know it's not like, you know, how many did Houston give up for Westbrook? Like five? Uh, Two and two swaps. Yeah. So four total. Yeah. I know two's not terrible, but if Gordon doesn't work out at all here and all of a sudden you just boxed out of two drafts for a young team, that's tough. So you got to kind of weigh like how close are you to the top? And should you just kind of stand pat? Houston was in a tough spot with Paul and Harden, that dynamic. So they were kind of forced into it. But teams have been so happy to give away years and years of picks. Milwaukee just did it. Uh, Brooklyn just did it again. And you, you don't know how that's going to go down the line. If things, if injuries break the wrong way, if players leave that you don't expect to. And you can end up in a spot like Houston, where even though we talk about all this positivity, if the Thunder, who are in their conference, just start siphoning talent that could be going to Houston year in and year out 
while developing their own and, you know, becoming a better team quicker than Houston, which is possible, right? Like they have some nice core pieces in Oklahoma too. Good yeah. young coach. Uh, I, it seems I, like. I think Oklahoma is in a much better position than Houston. Easily. Uh, yeah. Their, their draft hopes are, well, first of all, our future is tangled into their future and they have the, the leverage there. Like they can, they can basically control our future if they want. Uh, they have our picks. They have control over most of our picks down the line. They have control over their own picks they have control over this, the Clippers picks, so they are, you know, controlling two of the bigger market teams in the United in, in the in the NBA, um, as well as their own, as well as the pieces they have. Like they have SGA, who I would say is probably better than anybody on either roster. You can argue Christian Wood. I would argue Christian Wood as well, but I think, you know, those are probably the two best players. You have Dort, who I would say is probably the third best player out of all these rosters or these two rosters. And then you also have guys like Darius Baisley, uh, Moses Brown, who they just signed to a long-term deal, who was ridiculous. Who else? They have other guys. The, uh, Tio Maladon. And they also have Poku, who has been having good games. Like, they have a lot of good youth, solid youth. My thing with the with the Celtics, you were talking about the draft picks. I, I do think that there's been a few misses for Ainge, especially when it comes to which picks he trades and which picks he keeps. I think you guys messed up big time in this year's draft, keeping Neesmith over Desmond Bain. I also feel like you probably would have gotten more for Neesmith than you uh, did for Bain. Yeah, there's an issue with keeping too many too, which is what Boston has ultimately done. Yeah, um, you guys you guys have kept some very weird players compared to some of the ones you've drafted, I will say that. Um, yeah, if, if we're going to transition over to Boston, I was just looking at that 2019 draft, which became – the killer for this current core you had the Kyrie Irving Hayward situation which ended that year when Kyrie left and Al Horford left and then they said all right we're going to build a core of good guys nice character leaders on their college teams and so they brought in four picks that year and I know I've talked about this a million times I've talked about on this show they were all disasters Romeo Langford still hasn't played since September two out of his four years of his rookie deal have been complete washes. And when he's played, he's uh, got the worst box plus minus and uh, VORP of any player in that 2019 draft. It's, it's He's just done nothing. And he was the king last year of zero, zero, zero games. Showed some defensive flashes, so that's kind of been his thing. Like, people say, oh, what's Romeo Langford's skill say? He came in and played some good defense in a few games. Great. <laughs> <laughs> he's got, like, two good games in his career through two seasons. So he's still not close to coming back from COVID, it feels like, this year. Uh, various ailments continue to strike him. And then Grant Williams, who I feel like is worse this year than he was his rookie year. Can't he, play on the wing in this league. He was solid last year. I thought he was going to be really good last year. And then this year, I feel like he just is pointless on that roster. Yeah, and he hits his threes, but he doesn't get open or find enough of them throughout the floor of the game to impact things. And then, of course, he's, what, 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. So he, Stevens hasn't trusted him playing center this year either, which he had to a little bit last year, probably begrudgingly. So you look at that draft, moving things around to try to clear up that space for Kemba Walker obviously hurt them. Again, there and being... Carson Edwards as well was yeah. a little... Over, uh, over Matisse Thibault uh, and over Brandon Clark. It, it, that, I just... I don't really, I'm not big on age in terms of drafting. How do you feel about how the Celtics are doing this year? Like it's not, this isn't how you planned the year to go. I don't, this is how I thought the Celtics would go. I know before the season, me and you were talking and I, we both, like I, I said that the Celtics were a top four team for me. Yeah, they are young. And I think KOC made, I just listened to KOC's podcast and he made a good point. Or actually it was Chris Vernon who made the point that they're young. Tatum and Brown are young. Obviously, they are signed five years out now, which is a nice little span of time here to build a team for them to enter their primes. Like, they are already all NBA players probably this year. Brown might just miss the list, but Tatum certainly last year, all NBA player who haven't even hit their stride yet, which is unbelievable. They've both had deep playoff runs that they've led now, and they needed to be supported with tangible veterans and players that made them better. And I think this uh, comparison has been so apt. The Clippers are in a spot right now with Kawhi and George where they're under fire. They have such a short window now to win. They're older players now, obviously, at this point. Uh, but they don't, they've been pressed to do everything for that Clippers team. And they don't have the guards to set them up. They don't have the playmakers at the center position or guard positions to assist them a little bit, make plays, and make things easier for them. Like everything is put on those two forwards. And now the Celtics are in a position now because they haven't drafted good young playmakers. They haven't even 
they haven't even drafted guys who can like draw the defense in like Aaron Neesmith was supposed to be a guy who would create some like shooting gravity on the wings for these guys to open up the lanes and instead it's just like packed in city against Brown and Tatum they get blitzed on the ball they have to do everything as ball handlers and so it get to a point this year where they just look at it and say all right we have to do all the shooting and all the scoring it killed their efficiency I think it's hurt them as playmakers. They haven't been able to trust their teammates to knock down shots or, you know, make plays once they get the ball. And so like, I hate how this has piled up from a point where you look at Tatum's postseason last year and say, wow, he did an amazing job as a playmaker, 25, 10 and five in your first postseason leading a team, taking them to the East finals. That's unbelievable to this year. Obviously his efficiency has fallen off the map. He has to do a ton of isolation. I think he's ninth in the league in isolation sets. And uh, he hasn't done a great job with it because there's just so much pressure on him. He had COVID, of course. I think that's taken the wind out of him. And I hate how that gets to a point where you look at it and say, all right, these guys have so much on them. They have to do everything after a couple of years where they had a ton of help. And that's a tough transition to people calling them selfish saying that like they want they're all about their stats they want to have the ball in their hands all the time it's like no like they just they can't defer to Shemi Ojale and Grant yeah. Williams and Carson Edwards and Romeo's like five seat rows back on the bench they can't defer to him like wh- who are they going to give the ball to and you know Kemba's a guy who will defer but like who's he deferring to now like Kemba's gotten criticism too but he's got to go out there and shoot a ton they have three scorers on this team that's it there's a uh... I, there was a point brought up like a, a few weeks ago. I, I saw, I can't remember who said it, but it was basically just that like the, the issue with Boston, it's not Tatum or Brown at all. It's just the fact that there's, there's no one to create on that team other than Tatum and Brown. And, and smart, Brown, but smart, smart. It's either he has like the perfect point guard game or he's like jacking shots, like a maniac. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so like, and the thing is like with Brown and Tatum, like, Part of it is also, I like, I, I personally, you know, they can create really well for themselves. They don't have, you know, great players next to them to that can, you know, hit down shots or anything like that. But they're also, you know, they're not elite, uh, you know, creators for other players because that's just not their game. Their game is, they're, they're amazing scorers, but you need someone there to create for other players on that roster. You need that point guard. Kemba's no longer that. And I, I would like to see, like, I really want to see Boston do something with that TPE that wasn't. Evan Fournier I do like the Evan Fournier acquisition he's had a good game for y'all he did not have a great opener but you know <laughs> um that Ofer game but last night definitely made up for it I feel like isn't that crazy I, I think that was the most minutes ever played by a Celtic with zero points and then it's also seven, on debut and then seven of 11 a couple of nights later was the most threes of his career so it That's- was really <laughs> That's crazy. But like, I, there's an interesting position, I guess, also going back to the the conversation on free agency this year, because so many teams have cap space. Are there going to be teams that are willing to trade for guys like Kemba Walker or John Wall, or instead of overpaying these free agents, instead of being like, let me get an established player who might be, you know, two years out of injury or kind of declining based on his contract and only have him on the books for one to two years. No, uh, the Clippers trade for Rajon Rondo. Like, that was more preferable yeah. to them. <laughs> but, that's, but, but that's because the Clippers are t- are tied in with a lot of money long-term. Yeah. They, they want to also have to be able to pay Kawhi. Yep. Like, and also, I think next year they will be in a position where they can trade for John Wall or Kemba Walker as well with Rondo uh, on the books for two years. That's something that they wouldn't have been able to do with Lou Will because Lou Will is expiring. So they can make that transition next year if they really want to. But I think like there's going to be teams like that have cap space that could use that point guard. Like you, you look at Miami, they probably will not get Kawhi. Are they going to go spend that money on guys like Jared Allen, John Collins, stuff like that? Or maybe they just use all the cap space they have to absorb a kind of bad contract and take in another former star. I think that's something that Boston can explore with Kemba Walker come this offseason is see if you can unload him somewhere, get a couple pieces to put around Brown and Tatum, maybe become a player in free agency and try and get one of these young guys. I would love for them to go after Lonzo Ball. I know you're not a big Lonzo Ball guy, but having that creator and having that defender at the one and Ball's also a decent shooter. I think that's someone that can pair really well next to Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum going on to, uh, 
the the big guy in Boston and my favorite player on the Celtics right now, another guy who I think is should be talked about in this young core of Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. I think he will be your starting five long-term. Robert Williams, last night, nine for nine. You texted me before this. He was the fourth player ever. Can you, can you say the, the – Yeah, the he, was, he was <laughs> – the fun fact. Uh, Nikola Jokic will a couple times because, you know, any great – NBA all-time stat has to have Wilt in it. And uh, Draymond Green are the only players in NBA history to have a 20-point, eight-assist, 100% field goal game. And that's the mark of a brilliant playmaking center. So I was uh, I did a Garden Report last night after the game, and I was trying to rattle off the best passing big men in the league right now. Obviously, you think of Giannis, Jokic at the top of that list. Bam Adebayo is up there. Uh, you know, you probably have to include Joel Embiid. He's gotten much better in recent I years. Include Pat as well. Towns, yep. Uh, Vucevic, of course. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of like five, seven guys up there at the top. Uh, but Rob's up there with them already. And you could maybe even argue that he is top five off what we've seen, just off the difficulty of the playmaking, the position that he's in. The fact that like no one really has to guard him as a guy who can beat them off the dribble or shoot, of course. I know he can you know pull up and hit like a 15-footer, but he's not going to shoot any threes. And so for him to still be able to make decisions quick enough at the top of the arc, because uh, you know if he stands there for too long, stuff's gonna they're just gonna like get off him and find everybody else. But he's able to make a decision in a split second to find guys and. In that fourth quarter, whether it was off handoffs, whether it was off him falling on like on the baseline, trying to get control of the ball and just seeing a guy like across the court to find for three, which he does all the time, or just like, you know, catching the ball in the post and funneling it to someone real quick. There's about four or five ways that he can pass and completely rip apart a defense. And Houston, as you know, like is not a bad defense. And he was just shredding them to pieces in that fourth quarter. And you're just like, what's going on? Like, is this Jokic? Like, yeah. I. <laughs> he, he carved us up but i do want i do want to call you out on something did you just say he, you think he's a top five passing big he might be i, I like, don't i don't think so with the guys you named with like vucevic Jokic, so what's your uh, list? yeah i'm gonna Pat, pull up some clips here and you, you get your list going I'll, I'll say Jokic number one for sure uh after that i i don't i you know it's it's tough to say but there's definitely like Embiid, there's cat there's Giannis, there's Bam, there's Vucevic. I would put Sabonis in that conversation. Oh, Sabonis is up there too, yeah. Um, who else am I missing? Am I missing somebody else? Is there, AD can be in that conversation. Davis is up uh, there, yeah. I would put Rob Williams in that second tier of big man passing with the Mason Plumleys and Kelly Olynyk's. Like they will, they can make the right pass. <laughs> like, Let's show them a little bit of respect. Come on. Uh, well, I, they're in that in that second. Like Kelly was a great pass. I mean, he was getting players off the cut. Could Kelly like, get an eight assists in a game? Well, this was Rob's first time doing it. I mean, how often, <laughs> does, how often does Rob get to put up eight assists? That's the thing. Like, can he be in that upper tier of passers? Yes. Is he there yet? I don't really think so. But the thing that he's impressed me the most about is this man can stuff the stat sheet in all five stats. Whether yep. you know, like he's had uh, multiple games with five plus blocks. He's had a game with five plus steals. You know, coming from the center position at 20 years old, that is absolutely ridiculous. Rob Rob makes the 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 right play at the right time. Um, whereas these guys like Jokic, Vucevic, Sabonis, they can find the right play at the right time. Uh, they can create the right play at the right time themselves. They 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 can basically create the shots for their for their teammates. That's the next step for Rob. Is can he become that? force offensively that when he has the ball in his hands the defense has to look at him in order to get his teammates open um I think you know maybe there's a day that he can get there I think there's a chance he can get there but whether he does or he doesn't I I know like for a fact he's he's part of that young core with Brown and Tatum at this point and so he adds this stuff so quickly this is really his first year playing Last year, yeah. he got his first playing time in the playoffs, like real playing time, part of the rotation, made a big impact right away. We obviously know his analytics are just insane. When he's on the court, Celtics are like dozens and dozens advantage uh, per 100. I think it was at 50 at one point this year when he played 20 minutes or more. So like, but you're right. He just touches every area of the game right now. And so can he add a shot? 
does he need a shot? Probably not because he's just so efficient inside. He dunks everything, but it will, it will always help to add that. Uh, can he do stuff off the dribble? Can he add a post move or two? You're, you're right in the sense that he needs to do some things that set himself up to be a threat because right now all he really is as an offensive player is just a lob guy. So if he's standing in the half court and he's not rolling or if Tatum's going to ISO city, there's nothing he can do. Uh, so like, again, though, we talk about this being such a horrible year for this team, but a guy like Rob has made such strides that you think of him being part of the core going forward, which was not even imagined coming into this year. So I'm thrilled with that. Since March 1st, he's averaging 10.7 points, 8.8 rebounds, three assists, and 3.7 blocks a game. Unreal. That's that's ridiculous. I want to wrap this up, Bobby, but um, just to, just to get a little bit of thoughts on what you think is going to happen the rest of the season. What do you think is going to happen with your Celtics, and uh, where do you, where do you see them landing? I think right now, uh, where where do they rank? Let me, let me see real quick. They're eighth, I think. Eighth. What do you what do you what do you think is going to happen? What if there's do you, so there's a chance they could possibly see Milwaukee or Brooklyn in that first round, and I I would say that's that's not something Milwaukee or Brooklyn want to see. Yeah, for sure. And forget that. Like the Celtics have to get through the play-in, which when we <laughs> think about what the play-in is going to be this year, right now they'd be lined up against the Knicks, which is not ideal because the Knicks have like the best defense Wait, in the so league. How is how is the play-in working? Is it seven versus eight, and then? Yeah, so the seven eight winners in as seven, and then the eight or the loser seven eight plays nine ten, winner nine ten to get the eight seed. Okay. So it's a pretty vicious process. Even if you're the seven seed, like you, the Knicks would have to play the Celtics and win that, and then if they lose that or Celtics vice versa, they'd have to play the Pacers or Bulls, who were two rock solid teams, and you could end up out of the playoffs as a pretty good team there just because, you know, you have two bad games. So the onus to get out of that play-in is massive. And that's why you're seeing such intense races in the middle of these conferences, Charlotte, Atlanta, Heat. So the this thing for Boston is that it's so close. Yeah. Um, you get a couple game win streak and hopefully I would think that Charlotte slips out of that race. Um especially without LaMelo. Right now, they're on a little bit of a high, but no LaMelo, no Gordon Hayward. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Charlotte slips out of there. And then the Bulls did just get Vucevic, so there's a decent chance that they come up. The Raptors are the Raptors. Um, you know, they're only, I think, four games behind the Pacers. There's a decent, you know, you, can, you can't really bet against them, especially last night beating the, the, the Warriors by almost 60. Uh, and then the Pacers, when healthy, I mean, they are a stacked team if they get if they get healthy and if Karis LeVert can come back to yeah. being 80% of Karis LeVert pre-injury. Yeah, they, they, those teams should be behind the Celtics, though. There is no doubt about that. The Celtics should not finish below the New York Knicks this year. And the fact that they're tied is a massive indictment on Boston. So they got to get up to six. Uh, that's the expectation there. The Heat continue to struggle to get – ahead of 500 which i think is interesting because everyone thinks the world's falling for boston but miami's fine i guess because they made the finals we'll see how it ends up for them but you're right uh charlotte will probably regress at some point atlanta should you know maybe they've stepped into winning time down there with the hawks who knows but they've been an inconsistent team through the trey young years so maybe they'll cool off after this nate burst uh, so I, I think the Celtics got to finish six. That's probably where I see them finishing. If they're in this playing tournament and the going gets rough and they fall out of the playoffs completely through that tournament, it's going to be a tough because Boston's just different. Like the city's going to erupt in anger. There'll probably be consequences. We've already seen them make an aggressive deadline deal because, uh, I think of a lot of outcry here, people will want to see Brad Stevens gone. And I just hope, you know, I don't have aspirations for the Celtics making the finals this year, even though I think they can be competitive in the postseason. But I just hope that they don't have a season in the end where it will lead to overreaction, firing Stevens, moving one of the core pieces like Brown or Tatum. That's been talked about. I don't think they should trade Brown, even if it's for Beal, even if it's for a guy like Towns. I think Jalen Brown's the real deal. I think him and Tatum can coexist. They just got to put the pieces around them. And they can make it a little bit easier for them. 
And so ultimately I'd like to see this team make round two this year. It's going to be tough. Uh, but as long as you're able to avoid Milwaukee, Philly, Brooklyn round one, they should have a shot. And a guy like Fournier helps. I know we didn't talk a ton about him, but he's kind of a zone buster. If they run into the heat, uh, Rob's emergence obviously will make a big difference this postseason. So there's a world where this team can be better heading into the postseason than they were a year ago when they were relying on Tice. Hayward was hurt. This year, if they're fully healthy, Thompson comes back and plays backup center well. This could become a better team than last year's team, which made these finals. So health permitting is always a big statement, but this team, once they get there, I think has the pieces. And, you know, we didn't talk about Kemby either, but he's had a solid season, not efficient, but, you know, back to 20 points a game or so better than what people expected coming into this year. So like, it's been a weird year. They've missed the most games to COVID. They've had a ton of injuries. Tatum, of course, got sick and came back rough. Uh, Brown's been dealing with knee soreness. So stuff's been going on. It could continue to go on feasibly. But if things break right in these last 20 games here and they find a solid seed, I think this team will wake up come playoff time and be extremely competitive. You're right. I, I don't think Brooklyn wants to see this team round one. Philly, certainly not. They got swept by Boston last year. Uh, and Milwaukee, I don't think anyone plays Milwaukee tougher than Boston in the East. Like they just, they build that wall against Giannis. They got Grant, Rob, Length, the win Tatum and Brown to throw at him. And uh, we just saw last week, Boston gave them hell. Uh, so that's the matchup Boston probably actually wants to see round one. Bobby, anything you want to plug before we sign off? Yeah, uh, Celtics blog. I'm always writing over there. Boston Sports Journal features occasionally. Um, Steel NS Media, our Celtics post game show. We're live after every single game. Uh, the Garn Report as well. And uh, I'll be at the Garn a lot more over these last 20 games. Celtics have a ton of home games. They're on a seven-game homestand right now. So I'll be there quite a bit. And, uh, of course, at Real Bob Manning on Twitter. And that's about it. Yeah, that's it. Bobcast, subscribe to Dome Theory Podcast as well, my podcast. We do, we, do good, we do good interviews over there. Yeah, Bobby has great content everywhere. Uh, to everybody listening, thank you for listening. Uh, the next episode of the Rocket Science Podcast will be rebranded. Um, I don't know whether or not that announcement will be out by the time this episode is out, um, but the podcast will now be powered by uh, Gen Z Hoops. Uh, it's uh, owned by John Hartopoulos, a good friend of mine. Uh, now part of a network that will be covering all 30 teams eventually the, uh, this podcast will be one of three um, to kind of start that to kind of be the guinea pig and get the network going so I'm very excited for that uh, but this is the last episode of the rocket science podcast as it is um, the next episode will uh, be different I still don't know what it is yet so hopefully I find out before everybody else does but <laughs> Uh, thank you all for listening and thank you, Bobby, for joining me. Uh, this is a solid episode. This is a great one. Thanks, Nima.